You're listening to Business Stories with Ryan Arcarachi, where I speak to business professionals from all walks of life. Thanks for listening, and let's get to it. Okay, hello everybody. This is Ryan, and today's special guest is somebody I've known practically really all my life. My own father, John Arcarachi. Thank you for being a guest on my podcast, Dad. Thank you for having me. I didn't think you'd care. Oh, of course I care. <laughs> of course I care. So, uh, you know, you are an entrepreneur in your own right years ago as you started to get involved in doing upholstery. Correct. So talk to us about And I, I remember when I was a kid you doing it a lot, but I don't really remember how you started doing it. So tell us about that. Well, it was prior to your birth. Yeah. Um, hobby. Uh, like, uh, I think I just said earlier, uh, we moved out of a two-bedroom house into a four-bedroom house, and we never realized what how small the house was until we put the furniture from that house into this one. Mm-hmm. So, and then it was enough uh, saving up for the down payment on the house. So it was like I'm crazy about buying furniture, but then I. I've always been interested in how they do upholster, how they recover, which was popular at that time. Now, it's a it's a dead profession because we have disposable furniture. Yeah. But in those days, everybody, if they had a favorite chair or a couch that just fit right, then they would have it reupholstered. So I basically self-taught. I got, bought myself a book, and I find... Uh, furniture on the streets and I tear it apart and replace everything the springs and all and just continue doing it and then I think somebody asked me in fact it was a co-worker they had two matching uh, recliners and they always liked that feature mm-hmm. so they thought well if you can reupholster these in the same fabric we could continue having a matching set because they couldn't buy a matching set mm-hmm. So that was my first job, and uh, from there on, I just word of mouth. Mostly, uh, my customers were from my job, mm-hmm. and which was at a college which employed about four hundred people. So there were plenty there, and then it did go by word of mouth. It went it went beyond uh, my fellow employees, and I did it for thirty some years. Mm-hmm. And it was an immense help when the kids were going to college because it seemed like I'd no sooner get paid for a job, I could write out a check for the tuition <laughs> and never really see it. But that, that, that was okay. And then I started getting more interested into the antiques. Then I started to take some uh, courses, formal courses, and I learned what equipment to buy because I didn't really have up-to-date equipment because uh, when I first started there was another upholsterer in in town. Mm -hmm. He passed away and his wife called and literally gave me everything he had, the sewing machine, the whole work. So that was really a blessing for me because I really couldn't afford to buy that stuff and and that also gave me an opportunity to buy it little by little instead of buying it all at once. Right. And then I also was educating myself what I need to purchase, you know, because there's a lot of tools they'll say you got to have this and got to have that, and you don't. But that's just to push uh, these 
tool, tools for specialty work. Most of the tools in upholstery come from a, a British uh, company called, uh, oh Lord, here we go. Um, it'll come to me. It's, uh, oh, Ambassador mm -hmm. is the name of the company. And, uh, and they also, uh, the feature was nice of purchasing their uh, equipment is they also gave you a book, a little booklet with the tool and how to use it and mm -hmm. what the secrets are. And uh, I think uh, I retired in 2001. One. Yeah. And uh, uh, I quit the part-time job because a lot of the people had the attitude because I retired, I could do more, but I actually wanted to do less and do my own antiques. Mm -hmm. I started doing it for my children and whatnot. And now I just do it when somebody requests. I don't advertise because, like I say, I don't want to be consumed by the responsibility of meeting these deadlines anymore. Mm -hmm. So, But at the beginning, it was a passion you followed. Yeah. You it was that. like I, I told you earlier, it was almost therapeutic. It was just a nice hobby. You could go at your own pace. And uh, one thing I liked that is... Uh, if you did make a mistake, you could always correct it. Mm -hmm. it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't like a reversible mistake. Yeah. And then I remember another tradesman told me, he says the difference between a professional and a non-professional is they know how to fix their mistakes. And that's right. exactly, exactly. And, and most people will not admit it, but even if, you, even if you got years experience, there are times you do make a mistake. Yeah. And so that that's part of the training yeah and like i said it was just enjoyable it wasn't the only pressure would be when you have a customer that's in a hurry they want something done for a wedding right but as the years went by i learned to say i you've got to give me time because haste may waste i don't want to deal with uh, you calling me and you know you almost have to take charge so that you can do a good job and they'll be happy with it at the end yeah so it evolved into where you eventually got to work for New York State Corrections. Right? Well, yeah. And then you became a, which is interesting. Yes. You took this and you, you yeah, turned it I into went, a job of being a teacher right. for upholstery. Yeah. In my 40s, I, um, I accepted a position. I was working in the, in a, the college mail room. And then at the prison, I was a, a supervisor for, for the mail room. In a warehouse system, and uh, it was a desk job. It was nice, mm -hmm. but uh, when I interviewed for the job, I made it clear that I have to work now for retirement because in New York State, your pension is determined by your highest salary, mm -hmm. whether it was 20 years ago or at the end of the career, which was mostly the comments and scenario. Um, and that's what I was heading for. Mm -hmm. And uh, in about a year after getting hired into, uh, it was called Lakeview Correctional uh, Minimum Security, uh, my boss walked in and he says, uh, we're going to have an upholstery class in the vocational school here. Mm -hmm. Would you be interested? And I said, yes, definitely. Plus it would be about a 
10 grades higher than I was, so there's my goal toward retirement. So a higher pay? High, definitely. Yeah. And then, uh, but the only thing is my education, I had a two-year associate degree in business, and it was inadequate. But over the years, I did take courses and, and try to build up my credits. And uh, they checked my uh, record, mm -hmm. you know, with the register registrars at the college I went to. Yeah. And they told me I only needed, though you're testing my memory, I think maybe 14 or 16 credits mm -hmm. in education. So I went back, and uh, unfortunately, the college that was in in our living area it was in the town next to where I lived, actually. And I went to uh, it was Fredonia State, mm -hmm. and uh, the only school was about fifty miles east, which at that time it was called Buff State that offered the vocational courses. Right. So I commuted for three years. And then I got my certification, and then I worked until I retired. The last five years, I taught female. So what was it like going from doing upholstery to teaching it? How did that feel? I mean, it's it, it's got to be good because you're teaching people that are in prison, obviously, yeah. And, yeah. but you're giving them hope with a trade. Right. But that, that also, I'm sure, was challenging at times, right? Absolutely, because a lot of them dropped out of school. Yeah. A lot of them, I had to bring them up to an academic level yeah. so they could measure and do things properly. Yeah. Uh, I always taught with the idea, I don't, I don't expect you to be perfect, but you, that's what you want to aim for. Mm -hmm. You don't want to settle for less, because if you settle for less, that's what you get. Yeah. So, and uh, I also wanted to prepare them for life. So I, I set it up as if we had a little upholstery factory, and they got paychecks, and they had a punch in, and they had a. I was teaching some uh, investments, investing their salaries, mm -hmm. and uh, a checking account and savings account, and how uh, the general population does and not turning to the illegal mm -hmm. I was I understand why they did because they could sell drugs and make what I made in six months so you yeah. know you I'm not being sympathetic but you got to face facts right but anyway uh, it was fun I enjoyed it um, it uh, it was challenging because uh, when I began to teach they the estate just offered me this big room yeah and I had to set it up mm -hmm. and that was a challenge because of the regulations and requirements but once I got that through and uh, I would say in about six months of, of teaching and and kind of bouncing from different different ideas and how to handle this yeah. plus requiring the meeting the requirements, but that, that was kind of hard. But anyway, I did it, and uh, I taught for, I think, 12 years, and then I retired. The only thing that uh, got uh, a little difficult was the state was kind of like implying, 
and strengthening the point in all these regulations that the state required you to meet. Mm-hmm. And that was getting difficult because like a lot of teachers will say this, I'm spending more time trying to meet these requirements that I am teaching, but that's yeah. just the way it works out. Yeah. So was there any good positive stories from the students you worked with or that you yes. heard? Yes, we're, we're actually not allowed to... Uh... Sorry, that's the dog in the background. <laughs> so, yeah. I told you that's what's going to happen. I know, it's okay. Anyway, um, the one experience which was funny is... Uh, uh, as I was trying to say, I said earlier, you cannot really communicate with your students in the public. In other yeah. words, they don't want you to communicate. You can't, you know, create a relationship or. Right. It happens, but I, you know, that's basically what they would hope. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I did go to a state fair in uh, Syracuse, New York. Now, most of my students came from New York City area. Right. So, and. Lo and behold, here I am. I'm walking past one of my female students, and she says, oh, Mr. A, you know. And I said, well, you know, we're not supposed to talk, but, yeah. oh, I want to say hello, and how, how you doing? So I says, well, how, what kind of work are you doing now? You have a job? Oh, yeah, she says, I'm a stripper. And I says, <laughs> I didn't teach that, did I? She says, I'm joking. I am just got a job with an upholstery company that does mass work oh and um she says they start you off as a stripper taking the the old fabric off and you learn stripping the fabric stripping the fabric i see right and she says she was going to be promoted to start upholstering the outside of the chair because she was doing so well and she said her supervisor says you must have had some kind of training and you know she said yeah yeah and uh and uh, that was a positive. And then I did bump into a young man who was working in an upholstery shop, cleaning up and whatnot. And they started him really at the bottom. Mm-hmm. But they said that uh, what what they did at this particular institution is they would let them clean up and observe what the professionals were doing. Mm-hmm. And then they would come to you and say, what part would you like to start with? Yeah. And he said, he says, well, I'd like to show how I can make cushions. Mm-hmm. And of course, because he said that and he explained the process, he, uh, he, that was his job at the time I met him. And he says he liked it. And they also taught him a lot of modern methods, which I didn't even know. But of course, some of these factories have the tools that the average of in-house upholstery doesn't have yeah and uh he seemed to be pretty proud of himself and those are the only two experiences i've never really bumped into anybody i always do wonder how they're doing but that's every teacher i think so at this point when you met them they were out right? yes they were out and they also been out yeah because almost a lot of them 33 percent go back in you know yeah. that's the process yeah yeah well it's been interesting. Thank you for being on the episode. Uh, any parting words for the listeners out there who are maybe interested in a trade now yes. or involved in a trade, right. whether it's upholstery yeah. or right. carpeting, flooring, painting? What, any, yeah. what kind no. of advice do you have for those people out there with your experience? Well, everybody pushes college 
Yeah. But not of us, not all of us fit the requirements. And and uh, I mean, we all can't be Einstein. So naturally, yeah, you're still going to need people who can swing a hammer or do plumbing. And don't be afraid of it because um, most trades, when you get going on them, what you feared about them being difficult, you find out. You're going to find out. You're going to start saying something like. Oh, anybody can do this yeah. because you're doing it and you learned it. Yeah. And and because it's repetitious, you only have one way to go, and that's to improve. Right. Where a lot of academic jobs, again, you can excel, but there's always changes, and it's like a new learning, you know, a right. di different program, or or where when you go into a, a basic uh, like carpentry. You learn one thing, you learn the next, and you learn the next, and you learn the next. And before you know it, you can frame a house, you can install windows, you can install doors. Yeah. And I kind of had wished, when I was young, I went into learning a trade because I found out over the years I like doing things with my hands. Yeah. But back in the 60s, you know, go to college, go to college. So. Yeah. Well, I'm learning that now. A lot of people are saying, I mean, I went to a, a trade convention, and they talked about how a lot of kids don't understand, like, it's good to learn a trade. And you can actually make a lot of money, and mm -hmm. you can grow, and you oh, can yeah. become, mm -hmm. you can have a sustainable career or business mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. trade, mm -hmm. uh, learning a trade. But I think even when I was younger, it was like, oh, well, you're not going to be a plumber, are you? Or you're yeah, not gonna it's be, like a put-down. It's like a put-down, and I think that's completely wrong. No, I think absolutely. It's, it's, a, great, it's no. a great commendable thing to do, no. and people need tradesmen. I mean, it's... They're going to need them forever. When something so. breaks, who are they going to call? They're not going to call the local professor at the right. university. Right. You know, so. Yeah. And uh, also, not only that, the um, trades uh, create well-paying jobs, and the benefits are phenomenal if you go union. Right. And, and also, I've heard a lot of men learn after they master one trade, they go into another one. Right. Right. And then a lot of them open up their own businesses. Yep. Yep. You know, you have just as many opportunities with a trade education as you do with any other. It just depends what you do with it. And I think the nice thing, too, is you can pass it down from generation to generation to generation, and you can have these companies yep. family-owned for decades, That's hundreds right. of years. That's how they start. Yeah. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. So. Yeah. All right, Dad. Well, thank you so much for being on our show. And... Uh, I'm sure I'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you're interested in becoming an episode sponsor, please email me at livingryan at gmail.com. And thank you so much.